All right. Well, good morning, Trace family. How's everybody feeling this morning? Anybody excited to be at church this morning? I'm excited to be here. So thankful for each and every one of you. I want to say welcome, obviously, to all of you in this room. Welcome to those that may be watching this online or listening at a later time, but definitely a special shout out to all of our guests with us today. Thanks for coming by and accepting the invitation, or maybe you saw the road sign that says church doesn't suck or whatever brought you uh, to Trace today. We're incredibly grateful to have you with us and to be a part of this. And Let me say this really quick. I'm not going to jump into my sermon quite yet, but I want to talk about something that we've decided to do tonight. It's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, but here's how I'll begin where I'm going. And I would say this. All of us have some point in our lives, all of us at some point in our lives have likely said something that later on we knew. It's like, man, that wasn't a good reflection on me. Like, that's not how I wanted to represent myself. Maybe you were hangry. Maybe you had a little bit too much to drink. If you were honest, maybe you were just tired, but later on as you were reflecting on what you said, you're like, ah, like I hate that I said that. That's not who I am. That's not, that's not how I want my life to be represented. When it comes to the subject of prayer, I'm not sure it's what we say that we later look back on and think, man, that wasn't a good reflection on me. I think it's what we don't say. You see, so often in our prayer lives, we could probably look back and it's like, why didn't I take more time to pray about that? Why didn't I come, I come to my Heavenly Father? Why didn't, why didn't I invite other people to join me in praying for this very significant thing that was happening in my life? So, so often when it comes to the subject of prayer, it's not what we say that we look back with regret, but it's what we didn't say. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 116.2, and it says, Because God leans down to listen, I'll pray until my very last breath. And so what we've decided to do as a church family is to give you an opportunity this evening at 5.30 to join us for a time of prayer. And if you've been watching the news at all, you know that there's plenty of things that we need to be praying about. But specifically, we're going to be praying for what's happening in Afghanistan. We've got a friend here in the city that's a refugee from Afghanistan uh, that lost his leg and actually retreating from Af- Afghanistan that's going to come and help us lead us through some time of prayer. But we're also going to be praying about all kinds of other things. And so I want to encourage you to come and join us this evening. I know it's spur of the moment, uh, but we just felt like, man, this is we'd be missing an opportunity. We'd potentially be setting ourselves up to look back with regret if we don't seize this moment to seek our Heavenly Father more deeply in prayer. So again, 5.30 this evening, we'd love for you to come. It's only going to be about an hour. You don't even need to stay that long. Just come and devote some time. Uh, together with us as we gather together in agreement, right? As we gather together in agreement, God's power and God's presence is made more available. Let me pray for us right now and then I'll jump into my sermon. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for who you are and that when we come here today, we don't gather underneath an empty uh, sense of worship. We don't gather underneath a name uh, that that is not powerful. We don't gather underneath a name that can't move mountains. We don't gather underneath a name that doesn't have the very willingness at his fingertips to extend love and hope even in the deepest sense of hurt in our life. And so, God, we come here today and we gather here today because we know you're there and that you're leaning down to listen. And so, Father, regardless of what anybody, how anybody's story reads up until today, God, I pray that you let them know that you're there with them, that you give them a whisper today reminding them, I'm here. And God, we're so thankful for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in this series, The Long Game, for a few weeks now. We began this series by looking at the subject 
of church. And we talked about how church shouldn't just be another option among a lot of other options that you get to choose from on any given weekend where it's like, oh, we could do this or we could do this, 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 or we could, you know, maybe go to church. Maybe that's more convenient. And we talked about how the church that Jesus came to implement 2,000 years ago when he said, hey, when you guys come together, when you gather together in agreement in my name, my power and my presence will be made more available to you. And if that's true, then this should be a priority. This is God's plan A. He didn't have a plan B to move his mission forward, to move the gospel into the far corners of the earth. And so an option, no, it shouldn't just be an option. It should be a priority. Because this may be, and you'll hear me keep saying this, this might be the best chance. I would say it is your best chance to have a defining moment in your life on any given week. And so why would you remove that from being a regular rhythm of your life? And then last week we talked about God's love. And we talked about, man, if there's anything that we shouldn't just know, but that we should continue to grow in, it's the Father's love. And we talked about how when we don't understand the Father's love in in a deeper way, in a deeper sense, we start to bring the shame that he came to take off of us by sending Jesus to the cross. We take that shame and we start to put it back on us. But as we grow in the Father's love, the long game of that is keeping that shame off of us, reminding us that we can walk in freedom, that we walk in forgiveness, Not because of anything that we could ever do, but because of what Jesus Christ did. By becoming sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we may become children of God, that we could become the righteousness of God. And so we want to continue to come here every single Sunday and grow like the long game when it comes to growing in the Father's love is to make sure that we we keep that shame off of us and we continue to walk in the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus has given us. When we originally put this series together, uh, I knew that one of the topics that I wanted to tackle, one of the topics that I knew would be important for us to talk through was the subject of money. Because let's be honest, when we're talking about the long game, all of us have used money in a way that maybe gave us what we wanted now, but had us living in regret somewhere down the road. I mean, come on, it's easy to not think of the long game when and right in front of you something says limited time offer, right? Where are my bargain shoppers in here? Yeah, my brothers and sisters that are going broke saving money. Yeah, that might be me. Uh, how many times have you made one of those purchases that you really didn't need, but it was a smoking deal and you're like, take my money, take my money. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take three. Amazon has absolutely capitalized on this by impl- implementing this one-click button, right? Click now, one-click to purchase now instead of putting it in your cart, then looking at it in your cart, and then determining whether or not you need it or not. No, hey, one click now, click now, and you can buy it now. You can skip the cart. And what they're, what they're betting on is that as consumers, we won't think about the consequences. We won't think about the consequences because we're like, oh, I want to get it right now. And how many times have you actually put something in your cart and you saw there's only one of these items left? Yeah, how many actually believe that? Oh, I better buy it now. I better buy it now. So if you happen to be that person that comes home on any given day and there's an Amazon Prime box on your porch and you don't even remember what you bought, this sermon is for you this morning. Trace, ultimately, what I want us to wrestle with today is how we view our money when it comes to the subject of meaning. How we look at our money and how much meaning we're giving to the money in our life. Because listen to me, money absolutely can bring some meaning into our life, but it was never meant to be the meaning of life. 
Reminds me of something I read here recently. Back in the 1940s, there was a psychologist by the name of Viktor Frankl. And uh, Frankl started to gain some popularity when he challenged Sigmund Freud, Freud being one of the leading psychologists of that time. And he challenged Freud's view of life and purpose. Because Freud was arguing that if it brought pleasure, like the, the sole meaning of life was pleasure. And so if it brought pleasure, then it brought meaning. But Frankel completely disagreed. He believed that man wasn't seeking pleasure as much as he was seeking a deeper sense of purpose. And he later went on to say that when a person can't find a sense of meaning, then they distract themselves with pleasure. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Now, something that you should know about Frankel is that he was a Holocaust survivor. And it was actually in his experience at a concentration camp where he first started to put this, this idea of what deeper sense of purpose and meaning actually looks like because he noticed, listen to me, he noticed that it was those who had a deeper quest for meaning in the, in the concentration camps. It was those who had a deeper quest for meaning that were in large part the ones who survived. And later he captured this in his famous book called Man's Search for Meaning by boiling it down to three points what meaning actually is. He said, if you have a project that you're working on that requires passion and preferably a project that helps others, you're gonna find deeper meaning. If you live in a community with other like-minded individuals and share your life experiences within the context of safe and loving relationships, you're gonna find deeper meaning. If you find redemptive perspective, if you can find a redemptive perspective on your sufferings and your challenges, you're gonna find deeper, more purposeful meaning. Does that sound like anything to you? You see, in the midst of all of our searching through life and even drifting through life and our search for deeper, deeper purpose, more, a more meaningful life and our search for that, guys, I'm here to tell you that a lot of what you're searching for is found right here. It's found in the core tenets of the Christian faith. It's found in the local expression of God's church. When we come here any given Sunday, we're coming here not to focus on us, but we're coming here first to focus on God. Then we're focusing on how we can gather together in agreement, how we can serve alongside of one another, heeding the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2 when he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others more important than yourselves. When we gather here in agreement, seeking deeper, more meaningful purpose for our lives, we start to see that our pain, even the greatest extent and the deepest sources of pain in our life through the hands of our Heavenly Father can be turned into purpose. If you're looking for meaning, I promise you, you don't need to look any further than the Christian faith. You don't need to look any further than the local expression of God's church. But listen to me, listen to me. When faith stops becoming a priority, when faith stops becoming a priority, you will drift. You've heard me preach on this before. You will ne never naturally drift towards God. You will always naturally drift away from him. And oftentimes when we're still in this search, because I believe all of us, even subconsciously, are searching for deeper meaning in our lives. And so what happens when you drift, oftentimes, and not always, you will drift towards something that's revolving around this. Can money bring meaning to our life, absolutely, but it's not the meaning of life. It was never intended to be the meaning of life. 
And so when it comes to how we're looking at our money, Trace, we often will find ourselves falling in one of two categories. We will either tell our money where to go or our money will tell us where to go, which is why we need to practice foresight. That was the entire hope behind this entire series is that we would learn to practice foresight so that when we get at some point in the future and we're looking back, we're actually thankful for where we're at. And we're not falling into the same bucket as so many specifically Americans are falling in, falling in by looking back in hindsight and thinking, man, I wish I would have done some things different. And so what we are hoping to do is practice some foresight now. Money's either going to tell you where to go or you're going to tell your money where to go. This is why I absolutely think that it should be a prerequisite for everybody to take FPU. We offer this here at Trace. It's coming up here in a couple weeks. If you want to learn more about that, you can go out to Next Steps when we're done here today. But FPU, uh, if, you, if I were to sum it up, I would tell you it teaches you how to tell your money where to go instead of your money telling you where to go. And so I'd highly recommend that you take that class if you've never taken it because you will. You'll fall in one of those two categories throughout life. You're either going to tell your money where to go or your money's going to tell you where to go. I think this is exactly what Jesus was warning us about in Matthew chapter 6 when he says this, the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, now we may immediately start thinking about lust of the flesh. We're lusting after another man or another woman. But in the context in which Jesus is talking about this, I believe he's talking about possessions, the eye is the lamp of the body, he says. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you're constantly looking at what you don't have, if you're constantly thinking about, man, if I just had a little bit more, does this mean that you shouldn't pursue wealth? Does this mean you shouldn't pursue uh, you know, building your portfolio? No, but you've got to keep reminding yourself, at the expense of what? At the expense of what? And so Jesus says, listen, if your whole body... Uh, I'm sorry, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then that light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he says this, no one can serve two masters. The only time throughout the entire new covenant we see Jesus put two things side by side and says, hey guys, you're gonna have to choose on this one. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, now he's gonna tell you what two masters he's talking about. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, you're either going to tell your money where to go or your money's going to tell you where to go. And if you'll choose to look at this passage a little bit differently, I think Jesus is actually giving us an incredibly uh, great piece of advice here. I think what he's actually saying is, listen, money, money is such a better servant than it is a master. Money is so much a better servant than it is a master, and it will always go where you send it, which is why I really do believe that one of the best decisions that you can make in your life when it comes to your personal finances is to choose ahead of time how much you're going to live off of. If I can just have a, past a pastoral moment in your life right now, I would encourage you to think about how much money am I going to live off of and think about that ahead of time. Is it going to be 75%? Is it going to be 80%, 90%? But determine ahead of time how much money you're going to live off of, because if you don't determine ahead of time, you're just going to fall in the same bucket as the average American who ends up signing the dotted line on way too many dotted lines for things that they can't afford. And what happens, listen to me, this is huge. What happens is they begin pursuing money just to keep up. They begin pursuing money and having to sacrifice incredibly important things in the process just to keep up with all the dotted lines that they've signed. And even though you wouldn't admit it, 
Even though you may never say, no, 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 I would never say that money, money is the meaning of life. It begins to look that way because you're spending so much energy, so much time, sacrificing important things even, so that you can just catch up with all the dotted lines that you've signed. And friends, that is an exhausting way to go through life. I would sum up this kind of pattern of life through these three words. You live, and then you save, and then you give. In other words, you live however you want, you save if you can, and you give if it's convenient. You live however you want, you save if you can, and you give if it's convenient. And I just need to ask you this morning, okay, I'm having a pastoral moment with you. I wish I could have it one-on-one with every single one of you in my office, but we're having to do this in a large context. If this potentially represents you this morning, can I just ask you to wrestle with the question, who is serving who? And if if this potentially represents your life, if this way of living, that you just live however you want, you, you save if you can, if you give, if it's convenient, if that potentially represents your life this morning, I want to let you know that the Bible gives you very explicit warnings to how money can quickly start to become the meaning of your life and how money can quickly start to become the master of your life. Let me show you a couple examples. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said this when he wrote to Timothy. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, please don't miss how absolutely critical this next statement is as a warning from Paul. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. In other words, Paul is saying, when money starts to take on too much meaning, the motivation to get more of it will potentially lead you away from the faith. That your motivation to get more of it will actually cause the gospel, listen, to lose ground in your life. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is summing up a parable that he just told to his disciples, and it was a parable about these seeds that were scattered along the ground. And he gets to one particular seed. Again, this is how Jesus told stories, and he uses this seed as a reference for certain types of people. Let me show you what he says. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Money can bring meaning into our lives, but it was never meant to be the meaning of life. And friends, the message, if we get this wrong, the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel loses ground when we get this one wrong. So what's the prescription? I would say it's actually flipping the script. And instead of living and then saving and then giving, we begin with a posture of eternal impact first. We begin with this posture of giving first, determining ahead of time, this is how much I'm going to live off of so that I'm not constantly chasing those dotted lines that I've signed, exhausting myself throughout life, looking like money is actually becoming the meaning of my life because I'm just trying to keep up. No, we determine ahead of time, this is how much I'm going to live off of. I'm gonna budget that 
but when it comes to what I do with my money first, I'm going to give first. One of the best things about doing this, one of the best things, about, and those of you that have done this for any amount of time in your life, you know this to be true, that when you do this, when you posture yourself in this way, when it comes to your personal finances, this will keep money from ever becoming a master of your life. This will keep money from ever taking on too much meaning in your life. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you'll do this for me, I promise you, you'll thank me for it later. Some of you might already do this. My guess is the majority of you don't. Over the next two months, I want you just to keep track of where your money's going. Right? We already determined this. Money's going to go wherever you send it. And so where are you sending it? And I want you to keep track. Some of you already do this with calories. You know how to do it. you got the calorie app, and you're tracking how many calories that you're eating because you got fitness goals, and so you got to stay within this caloric intake to make sure that you hit those goals. Well, I think the exercise is even more beneficial when it comes to where you're sending your money. And just start paying attention where your money is going. Just do this for two months, okay? Just take, man, just take my word on this, that you do this for two months, and you'll start to see, it's like, wow, we're spending that much money eating out. We're spending that much money on Amazon Prime. We're spending that much money on lattes, you know, whatever it could be for you. And you'll start to, refine the process in which you think about, well, where should our money be going? Like if we're actually going to tell our money where to go, where should our money be going? Can I step on your toes a little bit this morning? Does everybody feel like getting their toes stepped on a little bit? Everybody okay with that? I want you to pay attention to your entertainment budget. I want you to pay attention to how much money you're spending on entertainment alone. And so think about all the things you could put in that category. Yeah, it could be movies, that you go out to watch. It could be cable, it could be Netflix, it could be Apple TV, it could be Apple Music, anything Apple, I'll sign up for it. Hulu, Amazon Prime, that subscription to that one magazine that you still don't even remember signing up for, but it still shows up every week and you don't know how to cancel it. Like, just pay attention to your entertainment budget. And here's where I'm gonna step on your toes. Can you really make the argument that money doesn't have too much meaning in your life if your entertainment budget, ready? If your entertainment budget exceeds your eternal impact budget. If you're giving more money to entertain yourself than you are to the kingdom of God, could you really make the argument that money isn't taking on too much meaning in your life? When it comes to my family, Emily and I chose a long time ago, we've been married over 18 years, we chose a long time ago that we were in for kingdom impact first. And so we determined that we will always give at least, this has been the 18 years of our marriage, we will always give at least 10% of everything that we have to the church, and we give that first, at least 10%. And so we've just determined that that's, that's going to be the posture of our lives, because listen to me, here's something that I can promise you, you ready? Something that I can promise you, because I've done enough funerals up till now to know this, something that I can promise you is that when you close your eyes here for the very last time and people are celebrating your life, no one's going to get up and talk about all the stuff that you had. I've never heard that. Oh, man, did you ever see that guy's bow and arrow? Did you ever see that cool truck? Did you ever see, man, that he just had some awesome stuff? Never heard it. But what you will want people to do at your memorial service, I promise you, what you will want people to do is get up and tell stories about you, stories about you of how the way that you live impacted others' lives for the good. That's what you're going to want to happen. So to some extent, not completely, right? I don't want to make an overgeneralization here, but to some extent, you're choosing between stuff or stories. 
And so can I just ask you this morning to practice a little bit of foresight, to practice a little bit of thinking about, hey, how can I live now? How can I set my life up in a way now when it comes to my finances so that in the future I can actually look back and be proud of it? And maybe even others can be proud of it. Maybe others can even tell stories about me. So do you want more stuff, Trace, or do you want more stories? Let me begin closing by talking about our seeds offering here in a couple weeks. And there's a confession in this, so just a heads up. Uh, Back in May, I let everyone know that coming up on our five-year anniversary on September 12th, that we're going to take up a sacrificial offering, and we're calling it a seeds offering because the idea behind this offering is that we're putting seeds in the ground in hopes that God will will develop it, develop us between now and wherever our next step is, that God will develop it, that God will grow it, and that we can be prepared. And I talked about the importance of preparation and that we can be prepared that when an opportunity opens up that we can actually make a move on it. And I even told you uh, during that particular message that some opportunities had opened up, but we weren't ready to make a move financially. And so ultimately what we need is we need to get $1.3 million in the bank. We've got $300,000 in the bank already, so we need to raise another million dollars because our lease on this building ends in just a little over two years. And once our lease ends, I'm giving you some some background, you know, behind-the-scenes footage here, but when our lease ends, our rent will go up so much that I don't think it's wise kingdom spending. And so it would just make sense for us to go buy our own permanent future location that we can call home. And so in the next two years, there's going to be a lot happening as we're pursuing what that looks like, but we're not prepared. You just need to know this. We're not prepared yet. And so it was my hope and it was my challenge to us as a church that on September 12th that we would actually put a huge dent in that $1 million that we need to raise and we would ask that everybody bring a sacrificial offering, a sacrificial offering, and it's my hope that we would actually be able to raise $500,000 on our five-year anniversary. And that one day that we would raise $500,000. Now here's the confession. After that message that I introduced all of this to you guys in May, Emily and I went home and we determined the number that we were going to give. And we kind of stuck with that number and it was a couple months later, and many of you know I was away on a sabbatical, just felt like God continued to impress on me to revisit that. And ultimately what we came back to in the conversation we had to have was, that's the biggest gift, like that was the biggest gift we would have ever given if we would have brought that particular offering that we were ready to give, but it wasn't sacrificial. It was what we had. It wasn't sacrificial. And so I started to think about what does it look like to actually make a sacrificial gift? What does this look like? And so I decided to sell my truck. Now, for those of you that know me, know that I loved my truck. I'm not crying, you're crying. I loved my truck. I was ready to drive this thing into the ground, probably give it to my son one day. I owned it outright, didn't owe any money on it. We were debt-free. And so it was an asset that I had in front of me, and my wife and my kids even tried to talk me out of it. And so I got them together, and I said, get behind me, Satan, and little Satan spawns. (laughs) But I sold my truck. And right here, I'm not going to tell you how much it is, but as a check, it's our check that we're going to be given, and it's more than I made in the first entire year as a school teacher. 
Is this your pastor bragging about what he's giving? Absolutely not. This is your pastor paving the way. If you're around me in any leadership context, you'll know that I've said this several times. You can't lead where you haven't been. And so I'm leading the way for our church to make a sacrificial gift. And so can I just urge you, if you haven't already, can you just have a conversation with your Heavenly Father and say, God, what, is this, what does this sacrifice look like for us? And if you remember, I said this back in May, I can promise you the church that sacrifices together is the, is the church that will grow stronger together, hands down. The church that's sacrificing together is the church that will grow stronger together. And so maybe you would even consider fasting a day this week. And fasting is just an opportunity for you to give up something. It could be food or it could be something else that your mind's going to think about a lot. And every time you think about it, instead of getting that and going after whatever that is, if it's food or something else, you replace it with prayer. And so as you're fasting and you start to think, God, what does is, what is a sacrificial gift look like? And all I'm asking, I'm not asking you to... to do anything that I did. I'm just asking you to listen to God. And if God puts something on your heart and shows you, this is what sacrifice looks like, that you would bring that gift, be ready to bring that gift on September 12th. And let me be clear. We're not giving. We're not giving to a building church. We're giving to eternal impact. We're giving so that we can hear more stories of what's already been happening here over the last five years, where so we can hear stories of salvation, so that we can hear stories of mended marriages, so that we can hear more stories of how people came in here and for the first time experienced real life-giving community, so that we can hear more people that are ready to battle the addictions of their life. Last week, 10 people took a towel to be ready to get baptized on September 12th, so we can see more towels be taken. Can I get an amen and some applause this morning? We're not giving to brick and mortar. We're giving to eternal impact. And so can I urge you, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your money, and the amount of meaning that you bring to your money, will you always choose first? Eternal impact. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna lead us into a time of response. Ah, Father. God, I pray that you would always lead us in every aspect of our lives, but one area that we, we tend to be a little bit more tight-fisted with is when it comes to our personal finances. And so, Lord, would you show us how to practice foresight now, to have a plan that we put in place now that doesn't, doesn't lead us to be just another average American in a mountain full of debt, but, God, that we would lead in such a way now with how we use our finances that would allow people to tell stories of how we used our resources to bring more meaning to other people's lives. That we would allow the meaning of money in our own lives to be used in such a way that would bring meaning to other people's lives. And so God, between now and September 12th, I pray that you would just make it clear to everybody in this room what a sacrificial gift looks like that we can bring. Because it's gonna take all of us, God, I know it is. It's gonna take all of us. And so Lord, would you move uh, in a way that only you can. God, help us to get this one right because you give us clear warning. You give us clear warning that if we don't get this one right, we are truly losing ground for the gospel. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.